we are continuing our journey through Philippians, and I, I, want, I want to give you a little backdrop this morning. Instead of just jumping right into the text that I'm giving, I want to give you uh, a little food to uh, process and to chew on. You know, as, as Paul pens this letter, he's been a believer now for about 30 years since his first conversion on the Damascus Road. And, um, you know, 30 years, how many of you have been believers for 30 years or more? I mean, as you go through, I mean, if you've, if you've been alive more than 30 years, you've seen a lot, haven't you? I mean, there's been ups, there's been downs, there's been turns in the road you didn't know were coming. There were all kinds of different things coming. And Paul, at this point in time, he... He's been around the mountain. He's experienced all kinds of things. And he is really thinking about this group that is turning 10 years old. The Church of Philippi is about 10 years old now. This is one of his final letters that he writes. There's a lot in his tank. And yet he is, you're going to find today that he is reducing it down to really some simple principles for us to take heart. But this church that now is 10 years old, they've been around long enough to have their own struggles. And Paul is kind of talking about that in the chapters that we've already opened up. He's talking, they're having some trouble sticking together. They're having some trouble relationally, and he's going to elaborate on that a little bit later on in chapter 4. But church life uh, doesn't, because you're in a church, doesn't mean that you're in this vacuum where there isn't any kind of relational friction, where there isn't struggle where there isn't challenge. For as much as we serve a perfect God, everything else is imperfect. Can I get an amen? And we know that. The longer that we're around, we know that. And the church at Philippi has got some growth pains, and Paul is concerned about this. And so what he wants to do is he wants to get them refocused and recentered on what will give them enduring joy. And so what he says at the start of this chapter He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, do what? Rejoice Rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. To rejoice in the Lord is important. It's a safeguard. And he's saying, after 30 years of ministry, three mission trips around the globe, starting all these churches, in jail, out of jail, persecuted by my own people, beaten with rods, shipwrecked, all of the ups and downs and challenges of ministry. He says the important thing is keeping your heart centered in the joy of the Lord. And so the question to us on our journey today is, do we have joy? Do we have that kind of enduring joy? Because what Paul is talking about is not this kind of yippee skippy, I got my way. Oh, it's so good to be on easy street. Because if you've been a believer longer than 10 years, you know it's not all about easy street. And if you've been around 30 years in ministry, like Paul was, he knows there's challenges, there's changes, right? Now, am I the only person here where you, have you been surprised in your Christian walk by, ooh, I didn't see that coming? Have you had that? Yeah. You start out, you know, and it's all like, woo, woo. God's got a good plan for my life and I'm going to get everything I want for Christmas. Right? That's not the kind of joy Paul's talking about. What Paul's talking about is this. He's talking about a joy that has a pervasive sense of well-being. And that joy continually refuels itself 
from God's sovereign goodness and care. It's, a, it's this settled sense it's going to be okay. It may not right now be okay. Paul's writing the letter of joy from where? Which, which holiday in is he at? No, right? Where is he, people? If he's in prison, tough place to be. You know, a lot of people don't realize it, but those, those Roman prisons, they didn't feed you. If you didn't have somebody feeding you, you starved. If you didn't have someone give you money so you could get food, you died. This is why he's grateful that Epaphroditus comes with a gift to him. He's grateful because it's life or death. He's not on a picnic, but he's writing the letter of joy. And Paul has got this pervasive sense of, man, it's going to be okay. Don't you want that? I mean, really, what life is about for us in terms of ourselves is, is getting, are we getting through? Are we okay? Is it all right? I have this friend that we got to know each other in seminary. Funny guy, Mike. And we, I, I was always telling him, Mike, I think the Lord's teaching you patience. He, he was just one of these guys that go, go, go. We were talking one time and he, he, can, he's, he told me, he said, you know what I do? And I said, no, what do you do? And I thought he was like telling me his deepest, darkest secret. He says, I never read a book from the front. I always read the end to see if I like how it ended. And, and he says, and I never watch a movie right from the start. I always go to the end. If I don't like how it ends, I don't watch it. He wants to know how it ends. And I'm like, isn't that a spoiler? He goes, oh, no. He goes, I can relax once I know how it ends. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ wins. He is resurrected. He is the almighty, sovereign God. And he takes all of us up with him forever. Where there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no sin, there's no hardship. It's all gone. Every tear is wiped personally by Jesus Christ. And you and I finish well. Amen? Oh, that's so good. He is settled in your sense, this joy. Paul wants us to settle on that. It may not be going well now. It may be a weird turn in the road. But let me tell you, Jesus is coming. But it's a long haul, is it not? And some days you feel like this guy. What just happened? Where did it go? Where's, the, where's this joy that Spencer was talking? Where's this joy that Paul was talking about? What happened? Maybe we have a struggle in our marriage or our family or there's something that goes on at work or at school or there's something in our neighborhood. You know, God only knows. You just read the news, right, people? Oh, my goodness. I was talking to my sister Mel yesterday, and uh, she'll call me every once in a while. She's in charge of human resources of uh, a big bank in Milwaukee, and so she'll run some things by me. And somehow we slid off. Does this ever happen to you where you're talking about how bad it is? Like, did you see that? Oh, yeah, but did you see that? Oh, yeah, but did you? And you're like, by the time, you just feel so heavy, like, all right. So she stopped at this time. She goes, wait, wait, wait. I got to tell you something really cool. And there's apparently this professional baseball player played for the White Sox. And he and and another player that plays for the Brewers are involved with this ministry that frees sex slaves. And the one Chicago White Sox player, who apparently is a very talented player, just, just chose, he walked away from baseball. 
so that he could, he could do what he's doing. And when I heard that, she goes, so Mark, there's hope. And I said, yes, there is. When someone follows Jesus, when you see that, there's like, oh. But in the meantime, there could be all these things. And you find yourself saying that something is missing. I can't tell you how many Christians I talk to that are my age, that are in my seasons of life, where you kind of see the end of the road. It's a little spooky because you look out and you go, ooh. You know, and not having any hair helps you realize this thing is falling. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Bill. You know, and you just think, man. And in, in those moments when, when you feel like something's missing, it's not exactly going, then we're tempted to trust something. And when we trust some things and not someone, and you know who that someone is, we're trusting illusions. Now, what is this? Is this a profile or is this a straight-on look? Shan, what is that? You're the photographer. It's weird, though, isn't it? Look at that. It's like, wait a second. What is it? It's an illusion. And when, we, when we're in a time where we're confused, when things are not rolling out the way we think they should, when we have a day like this where we just thought, it's a nice day, let's paint, you know? It, it all comes unglued, and it's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. You're disappointed in God. There's struggles. There's tragedies. Danny, uh, the, the fellow, Danny Mullins, who taught the men's retreat, he was, he was a really good, some good teaching and encouragement, but he, he made this comment along the way. He said, you know, guys, you need to realize that your personal comfort is not number one on God's to-do list. And all the guys kind of shivered in their chair. I had a couple guys ask me later, is that true? <laughs> it isn't. It's that you would look like his son. And sometimes that means a funny twist in the road, doesn't it? But you know, if, if the ups and downs of life doesn't get you, there can be these times where you're just waiting. Where's God? I've been praying. I've been asking. I've been seeking. I've been looking. Where's God? I've been unemployed for a year. Why can I not find a job? I've been waiting for a breakthrough. I'm waiting for the doctor to call back. I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. How many of you enjoy waiting? I just, I, I, Sharon's like, oh God, she's crying out to God. I I don't even like to sit at stoplights. Doesn't it bug you guys like when you, when you pull up to a, a stoplight and it doesn't change when it's supposed to? Yeah. Oh, you're like, that's it. I'm getting a bazooka. This whole thing's coming down, you know? And I think, oh, what is my deal? Lord, but waiting is part of the Christian life, you know, but we don't like it. And so when life isn't rolling out like we think it should or we find ourselves waiting, it's so tempting to slide off the rails of faith and start to say, well, nothing lasts forever. I guess that was okay. I know a lot of people that are like this right now in their life. They're kind of going through the motions. And you're only a half step away from something that can be just so tempting, can feel so right, but it's so wrong. You begin to take back your life and you say, well, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And we go from this place where we're trusting to a place where we're taking back. And the problem is, is we're living all alone. 
We're living on our limited resources, our limited wisdom, our limited understanding. We're limited. And instead of tapping into the infinite, we choose because we, we believe this illusion that somehow we can control it. And that all this stuff about self-help is true. But the reality, I, at least in my life, people, I, Mark Spencer cannot help Mark Spencer. Mark Spencer has actually caused more problems for Mark Spencer than anybody else on the planet. Can I get an amen? Uh, good, I'm glad I'm not alone, but it's true. I mean, Mark Spencer has caused more problems for Mark Spencer than anyone. I can't get mad at anybody else. It's like, yeah, I do that too. Yep, I did that too. Yep, yep. So this idea that we could somehow help ourselves, it's just not true, but it, it seems tempting when we find ourselves waiting or when life isn't rolling out like we want it to. Is this not true? Right? And so what, what's happening is Paul is concerned about his friends at Philippi, and he wants to bring them back to the truth. Now, about now, you're probably looking at your watch or wiggling in your seat, asking two questions. Number one, is Mark ever going to get to the text in Philippians? And I am. Hold on. I'm almost there. But I wanted to walk you through this. And then secondly, you're probably asking, well, what, what am I supposed to do? What's the way to this? So this idea of what, what do I do? If it's not self-help, what do I do with me? That's probably the most frequent question I get in the counseling room. What people are really asking is what do I do with me? I'm frustrated. I'm aggravated. I'm not satisfied. I'm disappointed. I'm hurt. I'm wounded. I'm lost. I'm confused. They're always at what do I do with me? Can you relate? And so we want to really think about this because what Paul has been building on since chapter 2 is he's saying to the church, listen, you need to work out your salvation. What is that, Paul? Well, the remainder of the letter is telling us how to do that work. And one of the most important foundational things does not sound like it's that important, but it is critical that you have this at the core of your foundation of faith. And it is this. It's not just what gets you in. In other words, salvation is not what just gets you into the kingdom. It's what keeps you in. In other words, every day you're experiencing salvation. We shouldn't, when we're telling testimonies, talk about what Mark Spencer was like on October 17th, 1980. That was an important day. But it's, it's an important day today. How is God going to save me? Now, I'm not talking about the start of salvation, but I'm, do you get what I'm saying? Is How is God operating in my life right now? What is he doing? How is he helping me? How am I availing myself to his help? And so people that think about salvation is, oh, that's old news. It doesn't stay good news. And you begin, oh, well, that was something that happened back then. What does it have relevance then? And it has relevance here and now. In the moment where there's tension between you and your spouse, when you and your boss don't agree, when you and a coworker don't get along, when you and a fellow student don't, in that moment right there, salvation is present. Do you live like that? Are you aware of, oh God, I need you to save me right here and now? So now we can take a look at the text because this is really what Paul is drilling down. Sharon did a great job last week talking about these past accolades that 
and this inheritance that Paul had. And he said, you know, all this stuff, all this resume build up here, all this stuff that's in the past, that doesn't matter. But remember, he's talking now about pervasive joy, this sense of well-being, what will hold us and keep us, not just in the past, but in the present, right now. Some of you in this room right now are carrying big stuff. Some of you are struggling with relational issues. You've got problems you don't have answers for. Right now, salvation is here to help you. In the future, Jesus is already there. He traverses time. I am that I am, which means I go wherever I want. And so in light of this, Paul is building on what Sharon's text talked about. He says this, what is more? Continuing on, I consider what? Everything. Everything. Not just past things. Everything. A loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. Why? So that I may gain Christ and be found in him. You see, Jesus Plus, anything does not equal Jesus. Mm. Talk to me, people. You believe that? Jesus plus anything does not equal Jesus. Only Jesus. Come on. Let your theological brain turn on, people. Because if you think there's, you need something more, then Jesus isn't enough. Right? Come, come on. Let's get, let's church, people. Let's go. Yeah, thank you, brother. <laughs> he says, listen, it's all of it's garbage. Why? So that I can gain Christ and be found where? In him. Not having a righteousness of my own. Oh, man. Some of the things that I, oh, I would tell Betsy, ooh, it's a good thing she's in the nursery right now. The stories. Mark, did you get that done? Oh, well, I was praying. Sounds real spiritual. Well, you said you'd get that done. Yeah, I'm praying. You already said that. I know. We, see, we have all kinds of things that make ourselves right, don't we? Come on, people, we do. And so Paul's saying, all that, that's garbage. He's probably up there hanging on a cloud laughing at Spencer. Oh, that's a good one, Spence. God, God. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through what? Faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, stop. In America, we have butchered the word faith. We've made it easy believism. All you got to do is just believe the right things. Fooey. That's fooey. We use Brennan's word, fooey. That's chopped fooey. That's not, that is not faith. Faith is leaning your whole life on it. You trust it, lean it. Lean on it. Put your life in it. Rest in it. Count on it. Walk on it. Breathe it. That's trust. That's faith. That's what he's talking about. It's not easy believism. It's not easy to be a Christ follower. That's part of the problem. People think it's easy. Read the Gospels. It did not look easy for those boys. They were hanging on for dear life and confused. 
Confused? Oh. But he goes on. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, to participate in his sufferings. Ooh, we don't like that in America. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. You see, he's reducing it down to some key words about knowing and about trusting because that's what makes you right. It's simple, people. It's knowing and trusting Jesus equals you're right. You're right with God. You're settled. Not just your salvation, although that's important, because 2 Corinthians 5, 5 says this, that he, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. Was Jesus a sinner? Work with me. Was he? No, he wasn't. So you got to scratch your head and go, what? What? And then it goes on to say that, so that we could become the righteousness of God. Not just righteousness, the righteousness of God. What? In other words, he took all of our stuff and he imputed it. He put it right on the shoulders of his son and he nailed it. Bam, everything. Not just past, present. He knows the naughty. He knows what's coming. He puts it onto his son. And his son, the sinless, perfect Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. So now when we are in him, so now when we are in Christ, so now that we are bound in him, you don't see Spencer. You see my man Jesus. Right? That's who you see. You see him. Yes, clap. It's good news. I, Spencer can't undo it. I can't go back. I felt so bad once I met Jesus, October 17, 1980. I stayed up all night confessing my sin. It took all night. And I don't think I covered them all. But I couldn't go back and I couldn't make it right. That's the only thing that could make it right. And so what Paul is saying is that when you, when you know and you trust in Christ, it makes it all right. And we're so prone to in, in, independence. It looks like this, that our past haunts us, some of us. Remember, Paul calls himself the chief of all sinners. But his past doesn't haunt him. Why? Because he knows who he's trusted. And he knows he works all things together for Good. He knows he's a redeemer. He knows all that muck is going to become gold somehow in the hands of the redeemer. And he trusts him. He doesn't go back there alone. He doesn't try to rework his past alone. He goes back there with Jesus and he says, here we are. Look at this mess. And Jesus says, hey, don't worry. I'm going to work all this together. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. In the present moment, some of us are saying, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. This is so tempting. So tempting. One of the hardest things, talking to Trisha Gibson at Financial Peace University, one of the hardest things is to invite Jesus into your checkbook. Can I get an amen? (laughs) It's scary. Jesus, I don't know if I want you to see my checkbook. But that's real life. I mean, the reason couples separate still the number one side of reason is money. It's not money. 
It's how you do life with money. And when you open up and you say, Jesus, come on in, and sometimes you're looking and you go, I, I don't know how we're going to make this. I don't know how we're going to get from here to here. I, I don't know, Lord. And in the present moment, the question is, who are you going to trust? You or him? Who are you going to trust? And so later on in the letter, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ. Who what? Strengthens me. And we need it, don't we? In that moment of crisis, we need it. It's like, come on, Jesus. What about your future? I was talking to some pastor friends of mine. And as we were talking about, they were talking about how worried they were about their retirement accounts. <laughs> I, I said, well, how's it looking? Some of them started giving me numbers. I said, I'll trade you accounts. I'll give you my account. You give me yours. And let me worry on that one. No deal. But you see, when you think about your future, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in Social Security? Are you trusting in your retirement fund? What are you trusting in? With your future, where you're going, you've got to trust in the one who's already there. You have to trust in the one who's created all things. You have to trust in the one who speaks and it happens. You have to trust in the one that looks at death and goes, ha ha, I'm waking up. You have to trust in the one who just makes it move. You have to trust in the one that says to the mountain, get out of the way. You have to trust in the one who looks at blind eyes and says, open up. You have to trust that one with your future. Come on. You really do. And when you're not in that moment, you're in danger of losing the blessing of the gospel joy, a settled sense of peace and rightness with God. Because you're so frantic. Don't worry, sweetie, I'm almost done. You, you're so frantic about, you know, how you're going to get this to work. You see, this is why Paul says things, and look where it is. It's the beginning of the book. He says, are you confident of this? Be confident of this. That What? He, who's he? Jesus. That Jesus who began a good work in you, what will he do? Carry it on to win. Till he gets tired? Bored? He's not bored with Spencer, I'll tell you that much. He's got a lot of work to do. He carries it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, when you're raised up. Notice, it doesn't say that he who began... It doesn't say we, does it? It's, I, I, I'm just along for the ride. Where's my trust? Where's my confidence? A chapter later, he says this. For it's God who what? Who works. In who? Us. To do what? Yep, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Who does the work? You don't sound very confident to me, people. He does. You see, here's the deal, though. When we work, God rests. I'm like a big pain-in-the-neck three-year-old. I remember when I used to be changing oil, working on the car, my son Joe would come, two or three, bopping in, what you doing, Dad? And he'd slide under the car and the tools would go flying. Sometimes the oil would spill all over the place. Can I help? Can, can a three-year-old help? So it became a different project. 
became about us being together. But when I'm getting in the way of God and I'm trying to work it out with my own plan, with my own ideas, with my own way, God just said, well, that's fine. I'm just going to sit back here. and Spencer's probably good for about 30 seconds. And then he'll be calling. And when I rest, God works. Now, it doesn't always work like McDonald's. Can I get an amen to that? It's not drive through faith. Because the most precious thing he's building in you is faith. Trust. That's the most precious thing. You've got to trust. And in those periods of time where it's not going out the way you think, it's not working like you want, in that moment, real faith, because you've got to drill down and go, what do I know about Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? Just tell me right now. Someone says, what do you know about Jesus? Tell me. What do you know? Powerful. Trustworthy. Trustworthy. Oh. Good. Totally fair. Love. Empower. Promise keeper. Yeah. He can't. can't lie. What? Joyful. You guys are doing really good. One more time. Relentless. Merciful. Forgiving. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? He's forgiving. Risen. He's triumphant. He conquered death. Whoa. He what? He's worthy. He's there. He's present, right? He's abiding. He's alive. He, he provides. He provides. See, if you just think about what you know about him, doesn't that give you enough to trust him? It should. It does. I was thinking about this, you know, because preaching. I thought, oh, what are we going to learn, Lord? And, uh, you know, it's not always just about the big things in life. It would be the small things. So this morning, we got up early, kind of putting this together and thinking and praying. And I, I left early to come up to church and just pray up here and get a few things ready. And so, you know, usually on a Sunday morning, it's pretty quiet on the roads, right? So I decided I'll come up 35. And I'm coming up 35. And I'm, I'm coming up on the entrance ramp. And as I'm coming up there, this person, I, I didn't even see them. Because, you know, you're usually coming up and you can kind of look back and see. All of a sudden, this person just zooms like a rocket ship to block me from coming into their lane. It's a moment of truth for Mark Spencer. What's he going to do? Is he going to trust in his way? Which is, mmm. My car's faster than your car. Huh? That would feel good. Would it be right? In the long run, would I feel right? Or was I going to say, you know what, Lord? That's fine. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why they were doing that. Maybe someone had just done that to them. Maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they didn't see me. Could be a lot of different things. Maybe they just got to get ahead. You know, I, I, I don't know. So am I going to trust that the Lord is my protector? Am I going to trust that he's got me? Am I going to trust that his way is the best way? And am I going to bless that person? 
So I stomped on it and just ripped. No. I was tempted, though. You guys, I was so tempted. I wasn't. See, that's the part of us that's so tempted. Ooh, I'll show you. And then Jesus goes, uh, 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 I'll show you. Okay. Bless them. All right, God, bless them real good. But you see, in that moment, it's like, do, who do I trust? Me or him? You all know enough about him to trust them. You just said, who do I trust? And that's the challenge because the work, when Paul says continue to work out, what he's talking about is this. Our work is to say no to doing it our way and in our own strength. It's so tempting. The reason we have so many tired Christians and so many bored Christians is we're not trusting in those moments. And we just do it our own way. And then we just get our own way. And Mark Spencer's own way isn't that cool. But when I trust Jesus, and I know it's impossible, and I know it's been hard work, and Jesus comes through, and you see Jesus, you go, "Uh uh-huh. The last week or so has been hard on my soul because I almost lost a very close friend of mine, same age as me. He went out to dinner with another couple, had dinner, went home. Ten minutes later, his body just went crazy. His pancreas started going nuts. He went septic. His, his heart started to go into fibrillation. He was having a heart attack. His kidneys started to shut down. He was a mess. And they couldn't get, they took him to the regions. We don't know what to do. They took him to the U, and they just started intervening, sticking tubes in his body and trying to get him gone. And when I went to see my friend, it was so encouraging to me to see this friend despite the hardship he was in despite the burden that I was carrying. I mean, he was hanging just on this edge of life and death. He had these tubes in his nose. It's just, you, know, you know what it's like when you see someone like that. And I said, Stu, how are you doing? You know what his first words to me were? I'm trusting Jesus. I felt like saying, do you want to preach this Sunday? But it, it didn't all change because he trusted, he's trusting Jesus. It didn't change right away. In fact, he had several more episodes where he almost lost his life. It seemed, I mean, there, there were hours of just groaning in prayer. Lord, save this man's life. Pounding, just pleading. Please, God, save his life. Literally hundreds of people praying. And his faith, Lord, I'm trusting you. Whether it's in this life or the next, I trust you. And it was just last night it turned. But I found myself this morning in my quiet time just saying, Lord, what would I have done had it not turned? Would I still trust you? It was convicting. But my friend's faith and commitment stirred mine. And sometimes when you can't believe enough on your own, it's good to say, would you believe with me? You know what I mean? Because this journey of faith and trust is a challenge, is it not? And so what God is after is he's looking for us to say yes to him. Yes, Lord. So I want to close this morning and just ask you to enter a challenge with me, if you would. Be so kind. To do an experiment 
this afternoon and this evening. And that is every challenge or change that comes your way. It could be that you burn the burgers on the grill. You're like, oh. In that hardship, how will you respond? Will you try to make yourself right? Will you try to make it right? Or will you trust Jesus? It could be you go back to your checkbook. I don't know. Those challenges and changes, those places where you're tempted to do it on your own, would you take Paul's encouragement and would you call all of that garbage and say, no, I'm taking this moment to trust you, Jesus, and to follow you? Let's pray. Lord, your word calls to us loud and clear. They're as important as the offering is. As Brendan mentioned, just, you know, to get back in the black. The, the cry of heaven is, give me your life. The way Paul says it in Romans 12 is the reasonable act of worship is that we'd be living sacrifices, that we'd just give our whole life. But thank you, Lord, for just small starts. This afternoon, would you be with us in a way where we're really keenly aware of what we're choosing, me or you. And in those moments, will you let your presence be real and let the joy be found? Because this is a great adventure. And it's meant to be a joyful adventure with you. Help us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Tears may fall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though the heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. When the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in this heart, I will praise you, Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness I'll dance, in the shadows I'll sing. The joy of the Lord is my strength.
Thank you. 